Our Old Covenant reading this evening comes from Psalm 77. Psalm 77, I'll read the entirety of this psalm. This is the word of our God. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arms redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. Our New Covenant reading this evening comes from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The grass withers and the flowers of the field, they fade and they fall. But this, the word of our God from Psalm 77 and from 1 Peter 1, it endures forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this evening as we come to worship you, we come, Lord, to hear your word. The word that you have set down in the scriptures, the word that you have preserved, the word that you breathed out, that we, your people, would know you, that we would walk in your ways, that we would delight in who you are and the wonderful works you have worked for us. Lord, as we come to this word, we ask that you would bless us. Lord, that you would send your spirit to work in our hearts, that we would be built up, that we would be strengthened in our faith to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. Turn back, if you would, to Psalm 77. As as we look at that psalm this evening together, Come to this particular psalm, we remember that God, in his infinite wisdom, gave to his people the entirety of the Psalter that gives a a voice to the vast array of the experiences of God's people as they lift up their hearts to him in prayer and in song. This array of songs and prayers reminds us of the fact that God's relationship with his people is dynamic as his people learn to trust him, as his people learn to love him amid all of the joys and all of the sorrows that this life affords. In Psalm 77 here, we find a prayer of Asaph that gives expression to an extended period of inconsolable darkness. That in the course of this psalm leads from lament to joy. In this psalm we find that times of darkness and an inconsolable spirit is not foreign to the experience of God's people. We'll look at this psalm this evening in four sections. First, Cries and cares in verses 1 to 3. Second, questions abound, verses 4 through 9. Third, contemplation to confidence, verses 10 to 15. And finally, fourth, consolation is the Lord, verses 15 to 20. The psalm begins... I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. Anguish, we see, has led this sufferer to cry out to his God, 
is God who he know hears him. So that as the weight of his troubles begin to press in on him, he presses into his Lord in prayer. That's where the psalmist begins. We must not see here in the beginning of this psalm the perfunctory prayers and seeking of ones who are simply looking for a change of circumstances. In these verses, we see an expression of persistence. That's the life of faith. Seeking after God. Right? Psalm 105.4, seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. And that's the image we have of this psalmist. Seeking the Lord in times of trouble like here. And in times of thanksgiving like his song that he mentions there in verse 6. Prayers are being spoken day and night. Hands are raised towards heaven that the Lord would bring comfort to the saint's soul that's confined to this moment, this time darkness. Notice that he's not trying to comfort himself with the empty promises of this world. He's not dissipated and he's not drunk and he's not deluded by immersing himself in mindless entertainment or in endless bottles of wine. When trouble comes, the psalmist goes to the Lord. There's no indication in this psalm that Asaph is suffering because of any particular sin. We're not told what it is that troubles him, but it is of such anguish that day and night he's seeking the Lord and bearing his soul before his God. His heart aches. Darkness has enveloped him. Trouble bears down on him. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. Psalmist goes to the source of comfort, but doesn't feel comforted. Like Jacob, who refused to be comforted after losing Joseph in Genesis 37. When Asaph prays for relief, relief doesn't come. Feels like he's talking into the air because the prayers prayed come with no perceptible response. So that when he remembers his God, he moans. When he meditates, his spirit is faint. Now at this point, the pragmatist would say, this isn't working. What's going on here? And may wonder whether he's doing this crying out to God thing the right way. And may even be tempted to abandon the faith altogether. This is where the seed sown in rocky soil would fail to flourish and instead wither away. The sufferer here in remembering God remembers that God can intervene. That God is powerful enough to do something. That God can indeed change the circumstances in an instant. But brothers and sisters, here the Lord teaches us to persevere even so. Did not Jacob wrestle with God through the night and come out limping? 
John Calvin comments, when the remembrance of God, from which we seek to draw consolation for mitigating our calamities, does not afford repose or tranquility to our minds, we are ready to think that God is sporting with us. We're nevertheless taught from this passage that however much we may experience of fretting, sorrow, and disquietude, we must persevere in calling upon God even in the midst of all of these impediments. When prayer and seeking after the Lord does not produce the peace and relief we desire, that does not mean that it's time to throw in the towel, but rather to persevere and to press into our God. And that's when the, psalm, the psalmist's meditation begins to deepen. The psalmist is sleepless over his troubled soul. See that in verse 4. And, and sleep for the sufferer is respite because it interrupts the sorrows, right? But the psalmist can't even get his eyes closed. Surely we may think our sleepless nights could never be God's good purposes. God would never want me to have a sleepless night. God would never act to aggravate my distress. Yet verse 4 tells us that it is God who held his eyelids open in the night. It was God who, as one commentator said, withheld the balm of sleep. For this psalmist. In the night he's so overcome by his troubles. With eyes wide open. He begins to think more deeply. Now I know it doesn't seem like it. When you're in the midst of it. But this is. This God induced sleeplessness. May just be the thing. You need. To silently. and Carefully remember. And meditate upon your God. There's different types or degrees of remembering in this psalm. As we read it, I'm sure you heard, remember, remember, I'll remember, I'll meditate, I'll think about, over and over. Like lots of remembering language. In verse 3, he remembered God. Perhaps focusing on God's power to change things. Here he pushes into the memory a a bit deeper as he remembers a time when his sorrow was not. He remembers the former days when he knew something of light, something of happiness, maybe. Maybe like the good old days. He remembers his song of thanksgiving when he knew he had reason to praise the Lord for his kindness and faithfulness. Perhaps some of those memories aren't about his experience, but about God's dealing with his people more generally. How God led his people. How God provided manna in the wilderness, perhaps. How God gave to his people 
a land flowing with milk and honey, but that's not the condition of God's people now. They've turned away from Him. Society is going to the pits. And those memories give way to questions. Questions arise, we see, from the discrepancy between how things are and how they used to be. Whether that be in regard to past experiences that the psalmist himself had or for the people of God in past times. The fact remains, there used to be a time that was good. There used to be a time of happiness and peace, but that is no more the case. What am I to do with that? The things that once comforted him feel empty. The light that once shined brightly now seems as darkness. heard it said many times. If only I lived during the time when Jesus was walking the earth, wouldn't it have been so much easier? Wouldn't it have been so much better? It was probably so much easier to trust God then and to feel his presence near me. Well, you read the Gospels and you realize that the Gospels tell a very different story, right? But for some reason in our minds, we always think the grass is greener. Or perhaps someone may recount the memories of their Christian life when all seemed to be going so well. But now the struggle has set in and each day seems harder than the one that came before. And when things couldn't possibly get worse, somehow they get worse. So the questions come to the surface. Verses 7 and 9. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up? His compassion. These questions strike at the very heart of God's character and God's covenant. Asaph's circumstances bring into question God's favor, his steadfast love, his promises, his grace, his compassion. And then he pauses. Selah. (sighs) He takes a breath. He he mulls it over for for a couple days, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. Has God forgotten how to be kind? Has his steadfast love failed? These questions, of course, only find their answer in the Lord himself. And these questions really almost answer themselves because they force the psalmist to refute the very character of God and to go from his circumstances and his experiences into the glorious works of God revealed in word and deed. So that as Willem van Gemmeren points out, 
in asking these questions and in expressing his doubts, the heart of the psalmist comes to rest. For he knows that the, that the God of Abraham cannot deny himself and cut himself off from his own people. In question, there lies hope. Asaph teaches us that coming to God with our honest questions is not something that we are ashamed about. That, of course, does not mean that our questions are good questions. That, that doesn't mean that our questions may not be misguided or driven by self-centeredness or driven by misplaced hopes. But even so, we find that the Lord is pleased to meet our wavering and shaky faith with his unwavering and unshakable faithfulness. Which is where Asaph finds himself in verse 10. With the answer to his questions from verses 7 to 9. Verse 10 marks the transition in this psalm as the psalmist is drawn out of himself. He's been searching in his spirit, but now he gets caught up in the wonder of God's holiness. Come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Verse 10, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Rather than remembering God who could fix his circumstances. Rather than remembering God's happy providence in his earlier years. Asaph appeals to the steadfast, unchangeable character of God revealed in his works and in his word. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Look at what he's remembering. The Lord's deeds. The Lord's wonders. His work. And his mighty deeds. This repetition of synonyms. Is a way of saying that he will meditate. On the Lord's works. In all their wondrous variety. His works in creation, and his works in redemption, and his judgments, and his providential care. All of God's works that have been revealed and have been shown. He will meditate on all of those glorious things. For God's way is holy. He is free to do all his holy will in all his world before which he displays all of his holy wonders. Wonders that he's shown to all peoples. Every person has seen the glory of God in his work. Yet herein lies the greatest comfort of the psalmist. He is not merely a spectator to God's holy work. But he in fact is a recipient of his holy work of redemption. God's holiness is displayed for all, but his holiness is conveyed to his special people who he redeemed. Not simply by doing some nice things for those people. 
But by binding himself as their God in the covenant of grace, he binds himself to love them with a steadfast, unchangeable love. A faithfulness that endures for all generations. Therein lies confidence. God's holiness for his people. If you recall the redemption from Egypt, you remember that the one who remembered the covenant was God himself. God heard the groanings of his people and he remembered his promises. He remembered his covenant. And therein God's wonderful works displayed in in full brilliance were acts of his everlasting love and his compassion for his flock, for his people whom he chose. The Red Sea, the thunder on Sinai were not spectacles. They weren't just spectacles to be observed. They were wonderful works of God's redeeming love to redeem a particular people. And that's where the psalmist finds his greatest and most enduring consolation in his God who led his people through the sea for their salvation. And so the psalmist here immerses himself in the wonderful works of God. He, he begins to sing of the water of, of, of uh, the Red Sea that fled before the holiness of God. He, he sings of the clouds, the thunder, the flashes of lightning serving as his arrows. He sings of the earth trembling as the create, created order becomes unglued before the holiness of its creator. As the Lord led his people through the depths of the sea and kept them utterly safe and completely secure. Surely, as the people of God passed through the waters in heaps besides them, their cares that they had at one moment probably seemed light and momentary in light of the glory that was revealed before them. Yet, Christian, you have something even greater than that. Your holy God working in the fullness of his promise of everlasting love and compassion through the greater exodus. The exodus that Christ Jesus himself wrought. Whereas God's works were seen in the exodus, but his person remained unseen. It veiled He was veiled in cloud and fire, yet Christ came in the likeness of human flesh, and his way was through the sea, through the cross, where the holiness and love of God was reconciled as our sin was laid upon him, and as he breathed his last breath for our salvation, the sky turned black. And the earth shook. And through the cross, the Lord Jesus leads his flock to streams of living water and to everlasting life. 
Psalm 77 is a reminder for us to remember and to persevere in recounting the wonderful works of God. It's no accident that the Lord has given us 66 wonderful books in the Scriptures upon which to meditate on His holy works in all their variety. The Lord surely could have given us a much smaller book. But the vastness of the Scriptures gives us an endless supply that we would meditate deeply, that we would immerse ourselves in His wonderful works. Now there's an immensely practical point to be made here. Even a a hermeneutical point that Psalm 77 makes for how we should read the Bible. Seeking the Lord does not end in finding a fix for ourselves and our problems. If that's what we do, if we just take the Scriptures to find a pill to take to to solve my problem, that's not going to solve the problem. See, reading the Bible is not about finding ourselves in the story and getting some practical helps for navigating life. If that's all we want from the Scriptures, we're not going to find what we're looking for. Yet those things are good. It's good to learn and to grow in wisdom, but the goal of navigating Scripture is glorying and glorifying our God. In seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness and getting lost in our God and His wonders. We looked at this psalm in four parts, but this isn't four simple steps to feel better. I hope that's not what you are thinking. This isn't four steps towards ending the hurt, that if I just do these four things, things will feel better. But rather, this is the well-trod path with the Lord to remember and to get lost in His wonderful works. It is seeking and wrestling with the Lord See, if the Lord were to simply relieve every distress we felt and remove the necessity to contend with Him, we'd be missing out. We would be robbed of such depth in His comfort and vision of His glory that is only gained through those sleepless nights. His path was through the sea. That's, the, that's where he was going. And that's where he takes his people. The path of our Savior was through the sea of the cross. And we with him. But oh the glory that's revealed on the other side. How on the other side of the cross we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We see the mercies that come without end. We behold love without bounds. When Jesus prayed, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And it was the Father's will to crush him, not because God was faithless, but precisely because God was faithful. 
Who would have thought that on the banks of the sea with the enemy in hot pursuit would have been one of the greatest moments in redemptive history. But our Lord's faithfulness, you see, is not proved in a struggle-free life, but in God Himself bearing us up through the waters and the flames. And when we gaze upon the holiness of God, there is a tonic for our souls in getting lost in His wonders of His grace. Look again where the psalmist is throughout this psalm. He starts with, I cry and my trouble, I seek, my soul, I moan. His sorrows are foremost. Yet by the time we get to verse 13, guess what? The psalmist is gone. Psalmist is gone. His troubles have been eclipsed. He has been enveloped in the holiness of his God and his God's works. In remembering his God, the psalmist gets lost. It's lost. May that be true of us. That we would get lost in remembering our God. The words of the hymn are true, are they not? The things of earth do grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us your wonderful works. Lord, that on display are the works of your character, your steadfast love, your faithfulness, your compassion, those mighty deeds, and supremely, those deeds worked by our Lord Jesus Christ, whereby he proved that our God is for us and that our God loves us. Lord, would you strengthen your people? Would you grant them relief, not merely a relief from the pains of life, but a relief that gets them lost in your glory, marveling at your works. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.